This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our show today. Sorry for the bit of technical delay. It's a beautiful, hot, going to be hot today, Ahanu, sunny day in San Diego. And I have to say, the weather has absolutely been beautiful, though. Didn't we just go down by the beach last night? And nice cool breeze down there in the sunshine. And I had fun watching everybody. You know, Hannah, what they do is after about an hour after we got there, all these couples started arriving, arriving with their picnic baskets and their blankets and their wine and their, you know, wine glasses and everything in their picnic glass, in their picnic baskets to watched the sunset, and then all these families started coming, and everybody was gathering around. And this was about probably 5.30 in the evening, so they were all there, ready to have their little Friday night little meal on the beach until the sun sets. And I thought that was just the cutest little thing, Ahana. We've never really witnessed that before. No, and it was a very pleasant experience, I have to say. But there was something that I noticed, Angel Rose, and I don't want to set the tone of our discussion today now, but I noticed that the people who were sitting there with their coolers and all that were actually drinking on the beach without a permit. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you know how I am about this permission business, you know? And I have to say, I I admired them. I said to myself, you know, who is there... pushing down orders from top down to say you can't do this, you can't do the next thing, or if you do, you have to pay us a load of money and we're going to fine you for this. And so, You know, here were people enjoying themselves, taking it easy, relaxing, watching an absolutely beautiful sunset, and if they wanted to have a glass of wine, either on their own porch, on their balcony, or on the beach, so what? And I thought it was a wonderful thing. But I have to admire them also for having the courage to say no to nonsense, and actually bring well, maybe, out there. Maybe that applies to parties. Perhaps it applies well, to parties. Well, you know, yes, I can understand where at, at a point in time there does come some need for, for consciousness and regulation in that regard. But, you know, my, my point is that it's just common sense. And most people do have common sense. You know, there are powers that be that want to make money out of common sense, too. And they'll impose all these kind of stupid rules and regulations. But however, I have to say it was in admiration that I looked at these people and it was in admiration that I looked at the setting sun. And I thought that's freedom. That's no need for permission. No need for anybody dictating policy. Just relax and enjoy the God-given nature that is in all of us and that is laid out before us. And it was a wonderful, wonderful experience, I have to say. It, it was, it was, it was. And you know, Hannah, you and I always seem to pick the spot where eventually little children just start rolling down the hill in front of us. You know, we were on mostly a flat area. There was a slight incline above us, but inevitably these little children and all start rolling down the hill. Remember when I we do. used to do that? Yes. 
When we were little, I, the first time I saw these little kids just go up there and start rolling, <laughs> yeah. I thought, oh, that gave my heart, you know, so much good. I thought kids are still kids, and it was yeah. just wonderful to see that. It was. It was a beautiful thing. And I was very desirous to roll with them. And unfortunately, I couldn't because I have this back pain, which is restricting me. Now, it doesn't stop me from talking. I mean, it would take a lot to stop an Irishman from talking. So they're going to have to come at me with something else besides a back pain. <laughs> yeah, so we could ask our listeners to send a little prayer to Rohanu because this is the second time his back went out. His back went out a few months ago, and it actually took quite a long time to heal. And uh, all of a sudden, he got up from the rocker yesterday, and it got progressively worse last night, and now he's... He's all hunched over and he's in a lot of pain. So uh, if anybody's out there, could you send Ahano some healing light? That would be fantastic. Yeah. So we were expecting Penny Kelly today, and I don't know if she forgot about us or if the fact that we were late. Um, and maybe I'll go try to get her back online if you'll keep up the conversation for just a minute, Ahano. Yeah, sure thing. Well, now, we were to talk about plasma and the various energies and we've been doing some really really wonderful work in these last number of weeks and months on the akashic records front on our sunday sessions and we did a session on kundalini which as we know is energy and penny has experienced of course uh, full kundalini rising which she has spoken about on this program and in her various books we also did a session on free energy and plasma and we were delighted to announce also that penny had done a previous amount of great work with her colleague dr levengood who was working with plasma energies and crop circles and all of that kind of thing and she announced that these energies were game changers at every level, personally, physical, mental, emotional and spiritual. And of course, globally, in terms of the political, business, medical, agricultural, financial, religious and energy field. So it's all very, very exciting, this whole business of free energy and plasma. Now, the thing about it is this last session we did on energy and plasma, we were discovering that the body has one kind of energy and atomic energy is another kind and solar energy is another kind. Ultimately, of course, it all boils down that we're all one. But on the level of the 3D, on the level of our incarnation here, there are different elements that make up the different energies. And it's one of those energies that's obviously blocked in my back now because it's stuck right there and I can't seem to get it to move up the spine so if we get penny kelly on she might have some insight as to how to move the kundalini up the spine because i need it so badly but however now Hannah, it looks like she did attempt to call us earlier and i just sent her a message asking her to please redial in is she there let's check if see if penny is there Hello, hello. Hi, Penny. Sorry about that. It was, Hi. <laughs> it was my mess up. I uh, put the wrong time in when I scheduled the show. <laughs> so, of course, the hollow oh. had to get me out of the hot water. So, okay. <laughs> glad you're there. Good morning. 
Good morning. <laughs> and I don't know if anybody yeah. knows, but we had the wonderful opportunity to actually meet Penny uh, last, was it last weekend already? Last weekend in Santa Barbara, uh, California. Yeah, it was like a week ago, I think. A week so, ago. Uh, um, Maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was truly a delight down in, over in, over as far as I'm concerned, up for you yeah. in Santa Barbara. So, yes. um, yeah, I, it was just wonderful. I really enjoyed every minute. Yeah. So, and that discussion uh, last weekend, or that weekend, we, we also covered a lot of things that we want to try and bring out to our listeners today, Penny. And if you want to lead okay. the field there and give us, because you, you, you're you a fountain of knowledge and an absolute inspiration when it comes to seeing things differently and looking at life in a different way, perhaps coming from your Kundalini experiences and all the research that you've done and the exploration of consciousness and perception and intelligence for over 30 years. And we certainly highly recommend the six books that you've written and, of course, the other books that you've published on spirituality and health for others. So go ahead, Penny, and give us your insight into what's going on. Well, I think um, the topic for today or the thing that I had in my mind was um, had to do with the financial wars that are going on around the globe and all the conflicts and, um, and how all of that plays into this huge choice, this test that we as humans are having to make as to whether or not we're going to disintegrate as a civilization and whether we're going or whether we're going to um, confront that whole situation. And it, confronting doesn't mean having to go into attack mode or anything like that. It just means be willing to really look at the truth figure out what we like, what has to be different, and then go about doing that, setting up those lifestyles, those mind patterns, <clears throat> you know, whatever, you know, whatever is involved in all of that. And so I think, you know, for those who have been watching on the surface, there's been this very deep, um, you know, hidden kind of struggle going on for quite a while now, um, and that struggle is really between the East and the West, and it is something that is really at a point now, I think, where, um, you know, the, the West is out of money, and so there's really, I think, going to be some rough times for those who are in the West, unless they just um, you know, are able to flow with it. If they keep looking backwards, that's not going to work. Um, they're just going to cause trouble for themselves. So it's really important that um, uh, that we have a... Um, hang on a second. I just had an interruption here. Uh, in the file cabinet, in the file drawer, bottom drawer, there's a notebook right in the front. Okay. And a brown envelope. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, we're having a small emergency here on the farm. There's always something happening here on the farm. <laughs> so, um, major piece of equipment just broke. And oh, so no. we were like, ah, oh no. So anyways, um, the, the entire situation in terms of, um, you know, 
what's happening with us and all of the small conflicts that are happening around the world are, um, I think, probably a really good example of something that the Little Men in Brown Robes described many, many years ago. They said we would come to World War III, that it would be more of a financial war than anything else, and that it would take the form of all of these little conflicts everywhere. Almost every country would be in distress, struggling either with, you know, regional kinds of problems, Problems, or with their neighboring state, or with some, you know, invading larger authority, um, etc. And so we see that now. We see that almost everywhere, yes. in places, you know, from Ukraine and Syria um, to beyond. And it's really been, uh, I think, disheartening in some ways. Yes. But the real problem. At this point, the real, the good news in all of that is that the West, what's often referred to as the cabal, um, which is different from, you know, the various country, national governments, the cabal is out of money and they are grabbing for power, grabbing for resources, and really the whole situation in Ukraine has been an attempt to a not only get um, some kind of a base, you know, close. They're trying to surround China, and they're trying to interrupt the relationship between Russia and China, which they have not succeeded in doing, and they're trying to get more income coming in. So in Ukraine, they invaded, they took all the money out of the Treasury, then they accused the former president of taking all that money, and then they said, oh, but now you need a, a loan from the IMF, and so the IMF comes in and says, we'll give you a big loan, and if you don't do that, then your people are going to suffer through this terrible, you know, stage called austerity, and uh, if you don't want that, then here, take this loan, and now you're paying interest for forever, and and it's just not working. Didn't we see that, though, in Iceland, and they, with great insight, they actually said, uh, goodbye, IMF. We don't need you. We're going to start from scratch ourselves. We know what we're doing. We don't need your handouts, and we certainly don't need to struggle under your financial regime anymore. And in, in my opinion, once they had made that decision, I thought, well, why doesn't every country in the world just do that? Because it is such a, a s- position of strength to be in, rather than under yeah, yeah. the under the the iron fist of the the financial system. But I have a question for you, though, Penny, because I'm puzzled Mm -hmm. when you say that the cabal is running out of money, when they're the very ones who who create it and who invent it and who print it. How how can that be? Yeah, how can that be? Well, what happens or what has happened is that the dollar is no longer the world's um, reserve. You know, it's not okay. the standard right. um, form of income. And there there has been no formal announcement of that because they don't really want any anybody to see what's happening. So last July... It, uh, you know, it really became obvious and a few people, a few financial, really sharp financial advisors started saying, hmm, you know, this doesn't, this is looking more and more like we are 
not going to be the world's <clears throat> the world's reserve currency. And, you know, other countries are beginning to trade between and among themselves using their own dollars. And what is going to happen for us, the U.S., is that where we have always been the ones to impose sanctions, we're going to end up in almost the same position. There may not be the official sanctions against us, but if no one will take our dollar, and there are countries now that are refusing to take the dollar, then we are going to be unable to trade with anyone, either to import or to export, and that's going to be a difficult period for us, and the government will probably try to introduce new money in that period, and we'll see how it goes. You know, the, the, the goal of those in the East originally was to bring down the cabal, but they wanted to do that using the rule of law. They did not want to create more havoc because havoc just opens the door for um, what happened in Russia to take place everywhere. And what happened there were, you know, just all sorts of gangs, all kinds of mafia interventions, all kinds of people who decided, hey, I can grab some power now and just made it really very difficult for people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so they were trying to avoid that by sticking to law and saying either the laws work or they don't. And we have to bet that they will. Penny, isn't one form of money the same as another form of money? So in other words, what I'm asking is, okay, the dollar loses value, but okay, the, the, the Chinese yen comes into play or the, the Danish kroner or whatever it might be. What, what difference mm-hmm. does it make? Is it not the same idea? It is. It is. And, and your statement, you know, isn't one form of money the same as another form? I, yes, absolutely, because it's all one simple kind of hypnosis, which is the idea we've all been hypnotized to believe that, A, we have to have money in order to survive, in order to buy land to stand on, and water to drink, and all of that. So, you know, we have ended up in this place where we think we have to have money, and, um, you know, and so we don't set up to be sufficient. And right there is where you hear and see a lot of talk and a lot of activity um, in terms of forward-thinking people saying, oh, my gosh, we have to be more sustainable. And really what they're talking about is we have to become aware of, um, you know, what do we need if money fails? So we're in that right now. We're, we're in the midst of that whole awakening. And, of course, there's people who are not paying attention, um, and there's people who are really um, going full speed ahead to build community and, um, you know, develop consciousness and things like that. So, so it's Penny, a very interesting time. It is, it is. But do you think this is somehow a good thing, though? Because, you know, we've been controlled by the cabal forever. And, you know, in my opinion, I just think it's t- it's about time that all of this broke away anyway. So do you perceive underneath the surface here that this is actually something that could be good? I do. I absolutely do. Um, As long as we stay 
under the cabal. Um, we really don't, we're never going to come back into what, what is basically our own sense of authority. We have to have a return to our ability to think for ourselves, to see what's happening in truth, and to be able to communicate with one another in a way that is very honest and, and loving. And you can't do all that. You can't learn that. You can't even wake up if you are lulled into this um, state of sleepwalking by the security around you. There has to be this nice balance between a little bit of insecurity and the capacity to create your own security. And that leaves you very alert. In other words, you get out of the alpha state all the time. And you, you begin to move into focusing. And, and more focused states are what we have to have. So when we do that, you begin to see all kinds of things. And one of the things that, that I think is, is just a huge draw is people who are able to um, maintain an inner peace, a pool of peace, a sense of joy, a little bit of a goofy sense of humor, and some creativity. Those people are hugely um, effective. They're, you know, they're wonderfully effective in terms of being able to inspire others and set others free. And so the more that happens, the more this whole consciousness will spread. So right now, um, there's two things that are happening that I think are very powerful. And maybe some people heard this last week on NPR. There was a, a conference that was held, I think, somewhere in Europe. And it was all of the elite. And their whole subject, the whole reason for this gathering, was their realization that capitalism was not working and that they needed to be able to um, you know, to, uh, how would I call it, they, to be more inclusive, I think was the term they used. And that inclusiveness is really, um, that's a very strong statement. In other words, what they're saying is, hmm, we can't stay at the top if there's no top, if the bottom falls out from under us and there's nobody supporting us. There's nobody doing all the work. There's no one shoveling the money up the hill to the elite person standing at the peak. Then, then our whole way of life is gone. It's over. And so the question, and these were, um, you know, people like Prince Charles, I think was one of the pictures I saw. Um, one of the Rothschild daughters, uh, Christine Lagarde from the IMF, they were all talking about, you know, it's not working. We have to um, spread the money around. We have to get capitalism working again. And capitalism really, by my definition, is a system that eventually creates shortages and forces poverty onto a system, which then forces competitiveness, which then, you know, drives the whole, com you know, competition and growth uh, basis. And, uh, you know, they're not thinking in terms of, um, you know, stasis or stability. They're still thinking in terms of growth, but at least they're opening up to the idea or the realization that, hmm, 
we need those people down there, over there, wherever they see us. Um, and they need us to be um, a little more successful. The other thing is that when you have 7 billion people, um, you know, who are just manifestly unhappy, and you've got, you know, maybe a 1,000 people in elite places, um, the, the 7 billion could rise up at any time, and even though they have you know, set up all kinds of weapons and systems and prisons and tortures and threats of all kinds to deter any sort of rising up. It hasn't worked in a lot of places. It didn't work in Syria. It didn't work in Libya. It didn't work in um, Ukraine. You know, the, the resistance efforts are on big time. And same thing in South America, Colombia, um, you know, those, they're just, you know, yes. people are saying no, no. But isn't there also a difficulty, though, Penny, when you consider a lot of the, let's look at even at indigenous peoples, whether it's Native American Indian or Hawaiian or, or Aboriginal or Mayan or Aztec or any of those native peoples and they all had a sense of self and a sense of righteousness and a sense of justice and a sense of awareness of the bigger picture Mm -hmm. but there was a contrived and concerted effort to take that away from them so that everybody became compliant so now we have in the situation in the world more or less a compliant population of that six billion people so if there are not if people are not aware of what it is like to be aware, how then can they rise up? In other words, they they don't know what they're rising up towards or for. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's really true. Um, I think you know there. One of the things that I have hoped, and um, and I you know I watched. Uh, the beginnings of the television world, okay? And, and I've studied a little bit in terms of um, early radio and television. It was totally free and open. Anybody could produce a show, um, just like the Internet was, you know, at its beginning. Everybody communicating all kinds of stuff. And then as the um, monetization of radio and TV was figured out, and big corporations discovered that they could do this thing called advertising and that, you know, corporations would pay um, advertising, you know, television and radio shows to talk about their products. Little by little, you know, they everything got bought up, all the rights, all of the channels, the time, until you get to today when, you know, the height of ridiculousness is the... Super Bowl and I forget how many millions of dollars for 30 seconds of airtime um, to deliver a message about junk. So, you know, here we are now, we have the Internet, and it is this tremendous uh, communications tool, information delivery tool, and it's been free and open, and, you know, people think they have figured out how to monetize um, most of it is really entrapment, but you click on something and, you know, all of a sudden you're loaded with junk or, you know, they get into your computer and get all your codes and your passwords. Problems occur. 
so that's the same thing is happening right now. The Internet is um, under attack by big corporations who want to separate it into approved channels, and then and those channels will have um, fast speeds and all kinds of bells and whistles. The yes, rest we've seen will that. be relegated to the background. Yes, yes, yes. Very slow. Well, now, it's, it's funny... Uh, because we had a little hiccup when we were starting Penny, you weren't privy to our opening conversation where we were talking about the fact that we were on the beach yesterday and we noticed that there were some people there who, even though there's this ordinance that says there's no drinking allowed of any kind, there was these people sitting there, lots of them, with their coolers and their deck chairs watching the setting sun. But they were doing it in a family environment. I'm not saying it was any kind of a party or a big get-together or a rave or anything. There was just little groups of families sitting, enjoying the absolutely beautiful sunset and having a drink against the law, supposedly, right? And I was making the point that what they were actually doing was they were actually asserting their right to drink if they wanted to, anywhere they wanted to. You know, now... Yeah. might be just for parties. Yes. Well, either way, though, my my point is when we're talking about people starting to stand up for themselves, to me, this was one of the ways that they were actually doing it unknown to themselves. Because when I asked you the question about, you know, how can somebody become who's not aware become aware? And this is one of the little ways that they're actually saying no. And I noticed it in a lot of different Mm -hmm. places. For example, there was another... um, uh, um, relation of ours who was going somewhere where there was cameras absolutely everywhere pointing from all angles at all quarters into every nook and cranny and because he was aware of that all he did was like we did years ago when we were trying to bring in a little drop of vodka into the dance room you know put it into a little plastic <laughs> takeaway container and sipped it through a straw and nobody was any the wiser do you know now my point though here is that it's the human ingenuity that's going to get us out of this these difficulties and another little story i remember from uh, not too long ago where uh, this was happening actually throughout the United Kingdom and in Ireland, where a lot of parents wanted to um, no. What it was was there was an, an advertising push by the uh, the telephone, the cell phone companies to spread the use of cell phones even into children. And their argument was, oh, this is going to be fantastic for you to keep an eye on your child no matter where they are. Talk about Big Brother now, right? They wanted to tag every child. Okay? And... But here's the thing. What I thought was absolutely ingenious was the children said, yes, mum and dad, no problem, right? But if they wanted to go to a party or go to the, the boyfriend's house or the girlfriend's house, they just left the phone behind or left it in the car. Uh, you know... Now, to me, you see, what I was witnessing there, what I was looking at there was human ingenuity, that despite all the power and control that is handed down from the, from the top layer down, as you mentioned, you will still have this ability of the human to be, to be, to be free, to be conscious and That's to be, true. yeah, so... I, I have to say I admire what you're saying when you when you say that there is this uh, growth of awareness, and I wonder. That's why I asked the question: How how can people 
become aware of that? How can people resist? But they do, and they do it in amazing ways, absolutely ingenious ways. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Hmm. Yes, and I have to make a comment. Um, you know, your question, how can people become more aware the Internet is one way, but really and truly, I think the best way to become aware is through your own people. The, in other words, it, it doesn't matter if you... So let me just back up a little bit and look at the big picture. There are conflicts between people who are aware that they don't want GMO food and the people who say, what's the problem? You know, there are conflicts between people who say, um, you know, we want to use this land, um, and then other people who say, no, I'm sorry, you can't use that land. Um, There are conflicts all over, over borders, over political systems, Mm -hmm. over... You know, over you, you name it. People, people are very creative, to use your term, yes. in coming up with reasons why they can resist. And so, you know, those conflicts exist. Those are the big conflicts. But in choosing awareness, almost always, I've never seen it otherwise. To become more aware causes conflict within the individual, All right. because now what used to be comfortable is no longer comfortable. What used to be acceptable is no longer acceptable. And the result is this uncomfortable place, this worry, this fussing, this uncertainty, and a lot of what I'm going to call worry and, and, you know, headache and sleeplessness over should I go with what my inner self is talking about, what it's pushing me toward, or should I... You know, should I just follow the, the rules, quote-unquote, the rules? And so you, your first choice, the first conflict is, do I follow the rules coming from inside of me or do I follow the rules coming from outside of me? And quite often people cave to the rules outside because they don't have any support. So if there is not someone in each family that I like to call the healer-counselor person, then it's very difficult for that family or that group or that neighborhood or that corporation or that organization to move into higher consciousness because they won't have the language, they won't have the forms of expression, verbal expression, they won't have learned and become comfortable with the tones of voice that have to go with that language. They won't have examined the concepts in depth and realized that they have to make new decisions about things. And so they remain in this, you know, kind of tongue-tied, mute, um, you know, tone-dead and blind state uh, in which everything is unexamined. And when you begin to examine, oh my, it just causes all kinds of difficulty and challenge. And the big pull, the the really big magnetic pull is going to be toward that inner authority. Yes. It's going to be toward that yes. awareness. And you have to be, you have to make that first choice. Yes. And when you do that, quite often support will appear. Right. Yeah. But if yeah. it's not there to start with, mm-mm. yeah. Let's let's talk a, a minute. This is an important piece of a waking up process, though, where people are confronted with their fears, 
And, you know, right. fear is usually about basic security. And it's usually about not only their own security, but in terms of our basic needs, but in taking care of a family if they have one. And if a person has a family, that's a lot of the reason why they conform. You know, you'll you'll look at a, yeah. a father who says, I have to do, I have to keep working. I have to do this job. I have to get money so that my family can eat. And, you know, so when we talk about the individual shifting, can we, yeah. can we bring it down a little bit to what does it look like on a practical survival level? Because to me, this is where I personally feel people need the greatest education because, you know, I've even yeah. had friends who would have lost a, a job, let's say, that paid eighty, ninety thousand, and then not able to find another one, and then go into this panic that they can't be living at that level of income anymore. And yeah. but how do people adjust? Because you know, to me, what I see happening is this dependence that we have had on government programs or particular jobs or the money system. Mm -hmm. The way it's run, the whole system that we have used, even though it hasn't been perfect, you know, is collapsing. And I personally think it's yeah. good that it's collapsing, actually. But I think, you know, what does it look like for people to return back to a sense of their own authority and sovereignty on a survival level? Because I think if we don't address that level, there's no room for any other kind of higher consciousness. You're so right. Yeah. Um, if we don't address that, um, I think what people run into is some little piece of them wakes up and says, I need or I want or I don't like this or I'm not com or that's unethical or that's, you know, da-da-da. Something about it doesn't agree with their inner self, and they go along with it. And most of the time, you know, they they will recognize um, that this issue is there, and they will recognize that there's a choice, and they will know one of those choices is better than the other. But the here's where crunch time comes. It's in what will people say if I do this instead of what's expected of me, which is typically going along with the program. And that lack of strength, that fear of judgment, that fear of being talked about, that fear of being thought ill of is a very, very powerful deterrent because those thoughts literally do affect other people. When you think badly of somebody, it does hurt them. And it does take energy away from you as well. And that's really the main reason for not doing it. You can't afford to lose energy. But, um, you know, in the process of awakening, that first, that first decision has to be made by the individual. And somewhere along the line, our schools, our parents, our governments, our institutions, our media should be promoting that permission to think for yourself. It has to be heard somewhere or people don't even consider it. And that's why we're in the place that we're at right now because we don't promote that in any kind of public way. 95%, 99% of the people that I work with are in some kind of spiritual crisis because they don't want to go along with the program. 
and they don't have any support for what they know they have to do. And, you know, it just, it unfolds from there. Once you take that step, once you begin to see the, the magic that occurs in or on the spiritual journey is absolutely, um, it's addictive, <laughs> if I can use a popular term. Once you have a taste of your own power, and it could be a very, very tiny taste of that, just the freedom to say, you know, no, <laughs> I'm going here instead of there. Or just to say, no, I don't, I don't agree with that. Um, you know, even though you can't, def- you know, describe why or, or detail your strategy or your thoughts, you just don't even know. But the freedom to say no and then observe what occurs is very, very powerful. It's like an elixir, and it's that power, that joy, that comfort that draws you forward to the next incident and then the next incident. Um, and I want to share something. This is... Um, something that I uh, was just dealing with a few days ago. A young woman from, you know, down south had met somebody. She's married. She has a couple of children. She's happy. She likes her husband. She likes her house. She likes her life. And she meets this person who is not at all, doesn't fit her vision of what an attractive person would be. And, you know, she said things like she had never liked red hair and she didn't, um, he didn't, he was missing a bunch of teeth and he was kind of, um, you know, too thin, too scrawny looking. He was not dressed well, um, always kind of dirty, but he had this amazing power about him. And it, and she said she found that almost irresistible and she was struggling and and I said to her, you never want what you're not supposed to have because in that thing, once you have it, you have all of the lessons that will take you to the next level of your own unfolding. The drive of consciousness is to and into and ever deeper into unfolding the human pattern. The pattern, once unfolded, has new powers and perceptions associated with it. So that pull, that attractive, you know, whatever it is, that um, it's almost like magnetism, pulling her toward a relationship with this fellow. And it, it was just a relationship. There was nothing sexual. It was just she wanted to be with him. She wanted to talk with him. She wanted to spend time with him, um, et cetera. And... Um, you know, it just caused this huge introspection for her as to what is this? What is this incredible attraction? And what do I do? Because she had this whole um, paradigm set up in which you could only be attracted to one male at a time. And, you know, here she is loving her husband and her family and her life and also loving this other guy and not being able to figure out how to fit those two together. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's an example of the kind of difficulty that people get into because they don't recognize or know anything about the power of spiritual unfolding. It begins to reward you almost immediately. Yes, yeah. Well, we, we actually get a lot of calls from people all over the world who 
are asking about relationships and especially the types mm-hmm. of relationship that you're talking about where there's no no easy explanation as to where the attraction's coming from. And of course we understand right. that from the aspect of the twin flame and how that energy is necessary right. in a way to, to help move us all along this time of change but I've got a a question for you that has puzzled me for some time Penny and it's Mm -hmm. about the timing now here we are you you remember of course and and many people do all the hype up to 2012 and all that that was to promise and so on and then these great changes that were to take place and are taking place now my question though is about the length of time involved because when you consider that we're here billions of years and that the earth has been going on billions of years and for thousands and thousands of years we have had these these rules and this the monetization of everything let's call it and the hypnosis yeah. that you talk about you know the the net effect on everybody and here we are also recognizing that changes are starting to take place so i'm wondering in terms of the length of time that something like the awareness of of sovereignty will take how long will that take when you consider that it has taken you know millennia to get to this place that's true Mm. that's true i think um the if I if I just kind of share some of the things I've seen as I've gone poking into the future, um, it stays pretty chaotic until about 2030. The thing that media in today's world have taught us, which is very unhelpful, is this expectation that we're going to have instant gratification and instant change. And when you get 7, 7 billion people on a planet... You have, you know, a thousand-pound monkey there that is lumbering along, um, doing the best it can. So change doesn't happen all that quickly, but change is continuous. And so by 2030, things had begun to settle into new forms of business, new forms of medicine were you know, that were getting organized all from now until 2030. Um, from 2030 to 2050, there was like a rebuilding, quite a bit of rebuilding. Initially, like from now until 2030, there's just the beginnings of new infrastructure. Um, and there's a lot of, I had seen a lot of displacement in terms of people leaving, you know, the, especially the East Coast, um, things like that. So we have this time of kind of chaos or just a tremendous change for at least the next, I'm going to say, 15 years. And then there's a period of serious, serious building um, and new infrastructure set up. And those new infrastructure arrangements are like the educational system, for instance, is all done on the Internet. Teachers become... Oh, what do you call like those people that like mentors? Um, you know, they take on students. Yes. Um, you know, they teach students to develop a portfolio. The the wider and the the more professional the portfolio is, the the better that child will be. The better off that child will be as they grow up and try to um, actualize, you know, their their gifts. 
And so that's one piece of infrastructure. Tremendous amount of buildings through 2050. And then from 2050 through 2080, um, a lot of those systems are settling in. And by 2080, the arrangements that we have here, um, a lot of cities are looking quite empty. People have gathered into what I call, oh, like tribes or families. The family business neighborhood has developed quite a bit. Um, there are uh, people who are cleaning up, amazing amounts of cleanup, um, restoration going on. And the, the, what I think the real shift in consciousness is, is this reconnection to the earth and the fact or the, the realization that that is the connection that has to be made for higher consciousness to proceed. If you do not connect to the earth, if you do not get access to real food, the machinery, which is your body, is going to operate at a very much lower level than if it has access to real food. Um, there's a, you know, it's a different subject, you know, this whole thing about food and frequencies and consciousness, all of that is a whole different subject, but just, you know, suffice it to say that, um, there's a shift to real food over this next 15 years. And that is really what provides some of the energy to do the building and the infrastructure development and the development of new businesses. And then following that, there's a really pretty steady focus, pretty deepening focus on um, all kinds of new technologies that parallel the abilities of consciousness at the same time, there's a focus on the development of consciousness as an end in itself. And that, I think, is wonderful. And then we continue on with that for the next, oh, three or four hundred years until we get to the early 2400s. And then um, there's a lot less population by that time. Um, or I'm going to say there's less. Um, I won't say a lot less. I just don't want to scare people. And some of that is a willing um, close down of population in some places or slow down, I guess I would call it. Some of that being access to food is not there. Um, the global system is not there. Um, although global communication is the trade is very much not there. And so people have had to um, develop small technologies and equipment that fit in a family grouping, a family being maybe 200 to 2,000 people. In some ways, and, like um, what it was. Very, very self-sufficient. In the past, yeah, yeah. Now, we're going to take a very, very quick little studio break here, Penny. And okay. when we come back, though, I, I admire and follow along with you and like us we, we keep focus on a better future all of the time but there's a couple of questions about how the past are influencing us that I want to ask you and Angel Rose has a couple okay. of questions once we come back after this break so let us remind our listeners that we have Penny Kelly with us on our World of Empowerment radio show today and you're speak, uh, she's speaking with myself, Ahanu, and Angel Rose, and we're going to take a very quick break, and we'll be right back after this. This 
is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Angel Rose and Ahanu. Well, welcome back, everyone, to our show today with our wonderful Penny Kelly. Penny, you know, when you're seeing the future, can you talk about what do countries look like in the sense that, you know, the little people, which is us, you know, we can be making all of these changes, we can be making community changes, food changes, and we're seeing more of that today, thankfully, where there's more communities being organized that are becoming self-sustaining. But then it seems that you have this this shadow of these people in control of governments who like to have their wars and like to fight over resources and like to conquest other nations. So to me, you know, the little people can be moving along on this inner and these inner gears making their personal changes in their communities and in themselves. But then you've got this, like I call it, an overshadowing of big governments who who screw things up for people, if you can use that. You know, all of a sudden they, they start a war or they, you know, they start something that is, is very contrary to what the population is trying to do. So that's my first question. And the second one is, because we know they can control the weather and they do control the weather, what does the weather look like in the future? Because, you know, in my opinion, they have the technology to bring rain where there's drought now and to, you know, shift things around in places that are raining continually. They can alter that as well. In my mind, there's no excuse for any place to be suffering a drought or going through that type of hardship now that they have that technology. But what does that look like? Because obviously they're not controlling the weather for the benefit of mankind. They're controlling it uh, for exactly the opposite reasons. So can you t- address those two things as you might see them in the future? Yes. I think, um, well, one of the, the first thing I would mention is that as you get further into the future, government is less and less and less effective. Um, until it's just kind of like, um, you know, the, like the old-time churches used to control everybody's life. The government is kind of there. It still does a few useful projects like building a road or building a bridge or et cetera, et cetera. But they are not, um, the big nation states are mostly gone. They do last a while longer, but as, but the trajectory is downward, and um, it, in, especially in the U.S. And um, there's some we have some really careful choices we have to be making over the next 25 years, so that we do not get invaded and taken over by some other country who's up and coming. And um, you know, so and I. Right now, it's looking like that is only a slim possibility, but most of the big nations break up quite a bit. When I get out there, like in our lifetime, um, they're still there and they still have to be dealt with, but it's a series of confrontations all of the way. 
and um, and the you know the real question is, and the thing that dawns so slowly on people who are born, you know, long after the uh, revolution, you know, the war of freedom from England, was um, is this question of look. You're our government. You work for us. If you're not going to do a good job, if you're not going to benefit us, then what do we need you for? And that awareness just keeps on growing. The other thing is something that I alluded to earlier with the um, that conference that the elites held. If nobody at the bottom has any money or has any jobs, they're not going to pay any taxes. If they're not paying any taxes, then the government is going to end up being very, very poor, and the result is going to be this, um, you know, this, this serious downturn in their power. Um, Ahano mentioned earlier that they just make up the money, <laughs> and that's true, but they have to be able to get the parts from somewhere else or the, the basic raw materials. And right now, China is out there, you know, doing all kinds of stuff to make sure that it gets the next big pot of resources, which is Africa. And so the conflicts in Africa are just outrageous at this point. Um, and so I think, you know, that we have, in our lifetime, we have to deal with government. When I get out there a couple um, hundred years, maybe even 200 years, Government is like almost non-existent, but what is very much in place um, in that, in the place of government, national state governments um, or nation state governments, are these. Uh, one thing is this council that I saw when I was with the robes. It was called the World Council of Ethics. It was a group of of elders. They were very wise, very experienced, very well versed in the the cultures and the you know the regional capacities and the dreams of various peoples. And so people were left to settle many of their issues, which they did in these big family businesses. And when something couldn't be settled and it just you know just couldn't be dealt with then there would be an application to this World Council of Ethics. Once that application was accepted, a group of people would come to the family, and if there were two families having a conflict, there would be a group that would travel to each family, maybe two, three, four, five people. Those, you know, two to five people would live in the family and listen and they would hear the talk, and they would see the action, and they would understand the underlying issue, and then um, they would communicate with the team that was living in the other family, and 99% of the time, the issue was an issue of consciousness, just, you know, poor development of consciousness. Um, sometimes it was, you know, something a little different, but it really does all come down to consciousness. So let's just say that, um, you know, the issue is over water. Um, you know, the question would become, how do you make more water? That's a, you know, communication with nature spirits as well as 
of the proper use of technology because in the future we don't get our water from lakes and streams. We manufacture that out of thin air using the correct matrix of frequencies that then produces water and every other thing we need for that matter. Mm -hmm. So the earth has a chance to heal and people very often um, just need to learn either to forgive or to apologize or to be humble or to step up and defend themselves a little more properly, not violently, but properly. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, there's usually a, there was always a coming together of the two groups mediated by the World Council of Ethics, who would make reports and arrange meetings of, you know, those who were having the disagreements, and it would be settled. Um, but nothing was done from a distance. Yes. So, you know, that's kind of how the world works. Yeah, what you're describing there, Penny, is very similar from from my perspective to the native Hawaiian ways that has prevented war for the past 12,000 years. And you can... The old ways, yes. And, And the same was true of various cultures. They had this similar type of system that you're talking about there, like the World Council of Ethics. Oh, for I solving, yeah, for solving disputes and so on. But now, let me ask you this because you know we're we're very keen to present an an uplifting point of view, a positive outlook for yeah. the future. But from my own perspective, though, I find myself seeking answers also in the past, and this centers around what has kept us in this small mind for so long and some people will say well it's the van allen belt and it's you know some kind of a a energetic net around the earth and other people will say well it's part of the pyramid structures that are keeping the people enslaved and so on what what's your opinion of what has caused us to be the way we are this this slave mentality for so long well i think um I think one of the issues on this planet is one that has, um, you know, I've been studying for the last couple of years, is that the history is very powerful. But the fact of the matter is that the history that we all think is history is not really an accurate portrayal of that. And so one of the tricks of those in power and those in the past was if we can, you know, get control and we can say what used to be, then we only have to last one generation and the kids born on our watch are going to think it's always been this way. And if we get to say how it was last generation and the generation before that and before that and so on, then they won't do anything different because they'll think it's normal. Mm -hmm. And so the past does impact us, and what we have um, is a pretty serious degeneration of consciousness that has occurred over the last four or 5,000 years. There's a huge amount of evidence and growing evidence that the history as we know it um, is just, you know, it was destroyed on purpose, um, by the uh, the Indo-European tribes who came down and eventually became the uh, very violent men who who wanted control and set up the Catholic Church in order to do that, and they just 
um, murdered everybody and everything that was in their way and scooped up their lands, which is how the church became the most, the wealthiest corporation in the entire world. And I think maybe it still is or pretty close to it. Um, so we have this legacy of just tremendous violence. And now we have this um, NSA business in which we're all aware that, you know, Big Brother is watching. <laughs> and what I've seen as I've looked at the future is it does take quite a number of years to lose that mentality of being watched, of being hounded, of being threatened for what you think, murdered for what you believe. And it's going to take some doing until we get to the point of celebrating one another and celebrating um, how somebody, the amazing differences between us. That to me is a mystery, a beautiful mystery. So the past is going to impact us. It's going to be some real, it's like getting, you know, in charge of a garden that has, where the weeds have just taken over everywhere. And it's like, oh my, and trees have started coming up and so the question becomes how, you know, can we grow anything in this garden um, or are we in a position where we, um, you know, it's lost, etc. I don't personally think it's lost. I am so excited about the things I have seen in the future. They are so beautiful. It is just, it's a whole new world of possibilities. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and it's up to us to um, to make those choices and to take action. And those people who don't take action, um, this is another little thing I've seen. Um, I mentioned at some of my talks when I was out in California that the state of Michigan has just passed a law that makes it against the law to grow food or raise small animals, bees, chickens, goats um, in your backyard. And so there's been this huge, you know, like, oh, my God. Well, I was talking with a friend of mine and said, you know, what are we going to do about this law? And she said, well, if you really read the law, what you see is that it is forcing each community to decide for itself. And they now have the benefit of this law. If they don't want animals and they don't want people growing food in the front yard, they have the right to do so, but they they have the right to enforce that and to stop that. But people can still grow food in their backyard. They just can't have animals in their backyard. And that, um, she said, if a community, a group of people do not come together and make it clear to their um, authorities, their leaders, um, they really are authorities and not leaders because there's a big difference between those two. Um, mm-hmm. If they do not make it clear to those authorities what they want in their community, then you know, then they may just discover that um, you know they're out of luck when it comes to trying to grow anything. So what that's going to force is some communities that really want to just be pretty, um, you know, and are very focused on you know what I'm going to call the control that comes with having manicured lawns and um, you know and, and trusting that somebody else is growing the food. 
um, they're going to band together. And people who want to grow food in their backyard and have small animals are going to go into other communities. Um, they're going to find one another, and it's going to end up sort of doing this sifting process where people of like minds will gradually come together work together and I think that's good in the long run it's good Um, we have to have people who take some part in their uh, governance if they just want to sit back then they don't have to they don't have any right to be complaining about what's going on they have to take an, an, an active role in uh, being, you know, a shaper and, you know, a listener and a leader and a guide in their communities. We're heading in a good direction. Penny, let me ask you, though, uh, about population in general, because there are those people who believe that there's way too many people on the planet and that that's part of the problem. And, you know, when I get guidance on it it seems to me that it's always that that's not necessarily the problem the problem is the distribution of goods but the other part of that the other part of that is um i too when i look into the future when people ask me questions about the future i always see a lot less people here as well and i have gotten calls from people who are terrified about that one statement that there's a lot less people. And, you know, so, in, you know, Source's answer to that is always, well, you've always seen people come and go. It, it isn't like us dying uh, is is a new phenomenon. You know, it's that people do come and go. We, right. we may see people just leave in greater amounts. But I, I have two questions in that. One is I do want your opinion on the population. And okay. number number two um, and this is a little off topic, but I do want to kind of bring it in there because I want people to really embrace the the expansion of where we as humans can go. And, you know, I'm, and I think I may have mentioned this, but ever since I was a little girl, I came in with the knowledge that death was not a natural thing. And and I yeah. and I have to admit I have a very difficult time with the death process the way it is now with the human, precisely because I I don't believe it, that the human body was really meant to do that. Okay, now that brings up the subject yeah. of our immortality uh, or potential immortality as humans, and I know that's a stretch in terms of our conversation, but could you bring in the whole? Uh, population issue and also the potential of the human in other words how far how far can we go in potential as individuals okay um, well what I'll say about population right off the top and this is something that I have been so grateful for the large number of people on the planet is a very distinctive um, event that is occurring because a huge number of those people are volunteers from, you know, other highly developed places and, you know, cultures and civilizations on other planets and other galaxies even. And they have just come here just to exist and to hold this consciousness 
and and quite a few of them worry about, gee, I, you know, I'm not doing anything special. And, you know, they're getting that from the media, that you should become a hero that everybody worships. That's horse pucky. The, you know, the population that is here is holding this humongous pool of peace and joy and energy. And those people who are the true leaders of this time, who are leading, you know, the consciousness, who are teaching, who are preaching good things, um, you know, working, just working so hard to make changes, they are drawing their strength and their energy from that huge pool of peaceful consciousness. So that population is absolutely necessary. And when we have made the shift into, or I should, I should say, out of um, what I'll call the nation-state mode, out of the war mindset, then those people will leave and their presence won't be quite as necessary. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, six and a half billion are going to leave or even that four billion are going to leave. So the the question becomes, the next question that you ask is, um, you know, the um, the whole question of, of death. So let me just say that death is just a way of getting quickly to another place of starting, another place of possibility. Um, there is no death. And, and it's not natural for us to die. We did not use to die. Um, yeah, we've been dying for a long time now, and we think that that's normal. But it wasn't always that way. So to pull together the questions about population and about death and about, you know, and to ease the fear of some people that, oh, there's going to be a huge cataclysm and we're all going to be lost. No, 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 no. That's just not it. The question that I um, have seen or the, the answer, it's really an answer, when I've been in the future is that people have realized that they can either spend their time developing their own consciousness at which point they will develop the ability to move past death. And actually, I'm writing about that right now in my next book. Um, and Or if they, if they don't want to develop themselves, typically they're going to end up having children and they're going to develop those children and it's going to be a limited development because they're in themselves because most of their energy is going to go into... Um, you know, feeding, clothing, taking care of that child or children. So the question of the future is, should I develop myself or should I take on the responsibility of a child? And that's why in the families of the future, the choice of having a baby or not is a group choice. It is not up to the individual. That whole thing is um, it, people are realizing that they cannot do a good job with themselves or on themselves if they are all strung out and stressed out raising a child. And so they have to have the support of the entire family. It has to be a family project. And everybody's got to be in support of that. So the, the, and people are choosing in the future to develop themselves because they understand that if they develop themselves to a high degree first, then they can choose to have a child 
and and if you're in an ageless place, there are other abilities as well, amazing abilities to foster life or to put form together and, and, and breathe life into that. Um, and there's just this whole focus that says, well, first let's grow up. First let's mature the body-mind system. First let's get this form into an advanced pattern where, you know, we're not all stressed out and, and we have these amazing skills. And then we will think about what kind of people we want to raise, how many we want to have, etc. So there's this kind of a natural slide into lesser population. And, um, and, I, and I think, you know, if, if we were in it, we're kind of at the peak of, of uncontrolled population right now, and that's okay because there are huge numbers of people who just want peace. And that all goes into that pool of consciousness. And that then becomes something that, you know, that real leaders can draw on and can use as a form of defense against what I'm going to call um, misplaced authoritarian or psychopathic, you know, people who, who you know, the, 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 there's an old saying, the need to lead is a sign of greed. And so anybody who has to be elected or has to be in power, um, that's a red flag. Leadership is, you know, divine right used to be the way that leadership occurred. The most evolved being in the group um, naturally kind of guided with his or her wisdom the, the group itself. And when the project was done, that person just kind of faded back into the group and, you know, and the group made their decisions and moved ahead and so on. The concept of divine right um, disintegrated as consciousness fell from its very high places, and now we have um, people who get in power and fight tooth and nail to maintain that power, and they're really destructive, and they don't bring out the best in their people. So it's um, it's messy right now, but population, um, yeah, it's it's an okay thing. And, um, you know, we do occasionally have big issues from time to time. The tsunami in 2004, I think it was, three or four, um, that killed 250,000 in one wave. Uh, that was, that's truly, um, an awful kind of tragedy. And, and other things, you know, there's people dying. You know, I just was reading this morning. 3,000 people have died in drone attacks. You know, they're dying one by one and twos and threes and fives and tens all over the place. And, um, you know, we just have to realize that uh, we do not have the power yet to move past death. So yes. that's the goal. That is one of the goals. Right. Yeah, okay, because that's a great thing. So, So in the last part of the show then, Let's bring it all full circle in terms of, we have five minutes, Ahano says. Um, in terms of what can people do right now, Penny, uh, at the state that we're in, um, what's the most practical advice you can give people who are, are waking up in their consciousness and they are shifting and we're, you know, we obviously have to move this paradigm along. So what mm -hmm. kind of advice can you give people from your perspective and what you've seen? 
Um, I think probably, you know, the first thing is continue to develop consciousness, continue to read and learn and study. The second thing is if you've got the consciousness, it's really time to put some effort into infrastructure, building basic infrastructure. Um, you know, just get together with your brother and buy two houses next to one another and form a small community of just the two you know, the two brothers and their families or whoever they happen to be with. Um, or, or, you know, a family get together and um, begin to create a small um, infrastructure that will hold a particular kind of energy and consciousness and awareness and let that experience change you. Um, I've said in my talks um, all over the place for the last year or so, if you have a consciousness, you know, then it's time for infrastructure. If you have money and you don't, um, you know, have a consciousness, then find people of high consciousness who have a plan and invest, begin to invest. Um, so, and then on what I'm going to say, a little people level, um, I would say continue to um, develop your skills, your abilities to be self-sufficient. That ability to be self-sufficient nurtures inner authority, and that is critical. You begin to see that you can take care of yourself and you don't need this or you don't need that. And the other thing I think is really important, um, which people like but don't always handle well in the beginning, is begin to share uh, equipment, begin to share space, begin to share cars, begin to share whatever you can share, because you will learn all of the lessons that come with sharing and the thoughtfulness that has to be there if we're going to work together. The human body is a um, collection of cells that just, you know, have engaged in ever deeper cooperation. We are moving into a time where if we are going to evolve as a species, we have to move into ever deeper cooperation. Okay. All right. Penny, we do have to leave it there. And it has been an absolutely wonderful discussion. We talked about the financial conflict that is causing disintegration if we don't change things. And we spoke about the East-West struggle over money, the uh, demise of the dollar, and how the elite are realizing that capitalism is not working and you talked about how money was hypnosis and how we need to inspire others through the growth of consciousness and through a little humor you spoke eloquently about the monetization of everything in our societies as we experience it today but you also then spoke about how we move towards that freedom and self-sovereignty into the future and how we will experience chaos until around 2030 and that change will already have happened by 2080. You talked about how the government becomes less and less effective in the future and how your experience with the little men in brown robes told you about the World Council of Ethics. You spoke about how history was fabricated to degenerate consciousness and how we're coming from a legacy of violence. And we will have smaller but more 
aware populations in the future and we will shift from the nation state mentality which i liked the way you phrased that you spoke about how death is getting quickly to another place of starting another interesting look at that whole phenomena that has so many people in fear and then you gave advice about children having children and how it was so important to first grow up ourselves and then think about having children and then the pointers for the future were to develop self-sufficiency to build community and to start sharing so i i think penny you've done it again you know with all of your books that you have out there they're all so inspiring so revealing and they reveal a, a that you're coming from a place of deep awareness that we are so grateful to have you sharing with us on the show today. Yes, thank you, Penny. Thank and you. sorry thank for you. the hookup or the mishap in the beginning. And next time <laughs> you come on, I really would love to address the whole topic of immortality and the human potential. I'd love to do a show just Ooh. on that alone. Okay. Yeah, that's an interesting subject. I have some things I could share about that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. All right. We have to leave it there, Penny. We thank, thank you. you so much for being with us. And we just want to um, announce, yes, we just want to announce that our group Akashic Record sessions are online tomorrow morning and every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Do go to worldofempowerment.com. And we also would like to invite you to come on the show. If you do have a book or a passion or a spiritual business, contact us and next week it could be you. So until next Saturday at 8 a.m. Pacific time, we thank Penny and we send you our 10 a.m. I'm sorry, 10 a.m. Pacific time. We send you our love, our blessings and thank you for listening to myself, Ahanu and Angel Rose on the Honest to God series. And as we say in Ireland, Slán agus bánach de live galair. This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu.